Please stand with me as we read from God's Word. Uh, We're reading from the book of Jonah. It's found on page um, 920 in your pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, And we'll be reading from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through all of chapter 2. So follow along with me from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, as I read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God, you are almighty. You are all-powerful. You are all-present. You are all-sufficient. And Father, we beg you today that you would forgive us of our sins. We thank you and praise you, for you are holy, and you are worthy of all our praise and honor. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit so that we can recognize when you, when you speak to us that we would respond with hearts open and receptive. Thank you, almighty God. We give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Be sure to keep your Bibles open there to Jonah chapter 2. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Well, the year is 1786. The place is Kettering, England, the Midlands, where our missionaries Tom and Gail Gritz are located. The man is William Carey, and his purpose is to share his great concern for reaching the unreached peoples of this world with his fellow pastors there in the middle of England. 
Carrie was nothing more than a shoe keep, a shoe cobbler, okay, who answered the call to be a pastor. But he wasn't a very good preacher. In fact, his people said, your sermons need more windows in them to let light in. In other words, he needed more illustrations. But Carrie's heart was filled with a great concern for reaching the unreached peoples of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, his great concern was God's great concern to go and make disciples of every people group. Carrie's concern, though, was not mere words. He didn't just play lip service to it. He had recently written a booklet calling God's people to pray, to give, and to go. It was called the inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen. Now, a team of our people had the privilege in 1998 to uh, visit William Carey's shoe cobbler, cobbler shop and to stand there. I'll never get, forget standing there. There's a window there, and you could look out, and inside the room were his maps and his, his, his visions of the world of his day, and you looked out to an English garden. And it just it floored me that... God gave this man a vision of was just an English garden to see beyond that to the entire world. He also preached a famous sermon calling Christians to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And here he is now standing before a group of his fellow pastors passionately challenging them with the need to unite together to do everything in their power to spread the gospel to the unreached. Unfortunately, several of his fellow pastors did not share his great concern. One of them is infamous for rebuking Carrie with these words. Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Besides, there must be another Pentecostal gift of tongues. So apparently this pastor didn't understand that you can translate the Bible into another language, people can learn another language, and the gospel can be proclaimed. Acts 2 has happened. Now we are sent to do that very thing. And Carrie did that very thing. He was a Bible translator. He went to India and his schools and his churches and his translation work is still existing today. You see, there were two different concerns in that room among those pastors, two different hearts. Carrie's fellow pastors failed to remember that God's great concern was getting the gospel to every people group. They had failed to make God's great concern their great concern. And it showed. It showed in their lack of passion. It showed in their lack of participation. It showed in their lack of priorities. You see, it showed because they did not pray, they did not give, and they did not go or at least be willing to send others to go. And let me tell you, Carrie was the opposite. He was raising funds. He was asking for prayer. He was wanting to send, and when no one would go, he went. The missionary problem is always a heart problem. 
the missionary problem of a lack of workers, a lack of missionaries, a lack of people going to cross-culturally with the gospel is always a heart problem. So this morning we should ask, does my heart fail to remember God's great concern for the lost? Do I have missional Alzheimer's? And if your answer is yes, I'm glad you're here. Don't be discouraged. Because Jonah had the same kind of missional Alzheimer's. He had the same poor memory that you and I sometimes do. And so what's eating Jonah in chapter 2? What's eating Jonah? It's a heart that fails to remember God's great concern for the loss. It's a heart that fails to remember. But listen, God knew how to deal with Jonah, and he knows how to deal with us this morning. And he can remind us of his great concern for the loss. And so we're going to see in Jonah 2, we're going to see three ways God reminds us of his great concern when we have failed to remember. And the first thing that he does is a painful thing. The Lord disciplines us for our lack of concern. He disciplines us. And he does it graciously. And he does it for our good. He does it for the good of the lost who have never heard. And he does it for his glory. The Lord's discipline reminds us of at least two things. First of all, his great concern is reaching all people. Not just people like us, and not just people we like, but all people. Everything that occurred in Jonah chapter 1 that we looked at last week revealed God's heart of concern for reaching all people with the saving news of both judgment and salvation. It also revealed Jonah's lack of concern for reaching people. You know, in chapter 1, even the pagan captain of the ship, even the pagan sailors had a greater concern for saving lives than Jonah did. And you know what? Sadly, that is still true often today. Many lost people often show a greater concern for saving endangered animals and endangered plants than we Christians do for saving people who are endangered of eternal hell. We need God to help us. When the lost world shows a greater concern to save that which has no eternal value than we do for saving the lives of human beings that will live forever in a Christless eternity if they do not hear and if they do not respond. And that's the second reason why God disciplines us. He disciplines us to remind us of our lack of concern, but also his great concern is eternal life, not death. God wants to save people. Can I get an amen? He wants to save. We are only here sitting today. If you are born again today, you are here for, for, by one reason. He wanted to save you when we didn't want even to be saved. Reading chapter 1 about Jonah and the great storm might lead you to think that God's main concern is killing people. Okay, let's look at chapter 1 again. Okay, think about it. God's commission was to Jonah, cry out against that great city and its wickedness. 
And then he hurls a great wind and then a great storm that almost sinks a ship full of all these people in it. Then he requires the sailors to still the storm by throwing Jonah overboard to his death. I mean, what kind of God is this? Some people think that's the God of the Old Testament. But what is he doing? No, his great concern is not death, it is life. Read one, chapter 1, 15 through 17 again with me. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly or stomach of the fish three days. The goal of all of that was life and eternal life, not death. The only one in this book who desires death throughout all four chapters is Jonah. Okay, God desires his servant Jonah to live. He desires the unsaved sailors to live. He desired wicked Nineveh to have the opportunity to live. And he wants every man, woman, or child who is in the womb or out of the womb to have life. That is the God that we worship. Only Jonah wanted death. How do we know that God did not want Jonah to die? Well, first, very easily in verse 17, he prepared a way for Jonah to be saved. He prepared a way. And here's what you want to see. Repeated in this book, is the name of God, the covenant name of God, which is the Lord. And in most of your Bibles, that is all in caps. Yahweh, the covenant keeper, the promise maker, the redeemer who can be counted on to save any and all who call on his name. And that Lord, in verse 17, appointed a way of salvation long before Jonah was ever thrown overboard. When God said, throw him overboard, God already knew that there was a whale appointed to deliver him. And you know what? God did the same thing for this world. Before the foundation of the world, God has already prepared a way of salvation. He already has a way of salvation for those who will call on the name of the Lord. And what was this divine way the Lord prepared for Jonah? The Lord prepared, according to verse 17, a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, we got to deal with this. Okay, so let's deal with it. Let's answer the questions, and let's do it quickly. Is this a whale of a tale? Is this just another religious fish story? You know how fishermen are famous for making up things. You know, I, I caught a fish this big, you know. that's No, is that what's going on? What kind of fish was it? Was it a whale? Well, let me tell you, in Hebrew, that word great fish, are you ready? In Hebrew, that word means great fish. Okay, so that, I went to school to learn that. Nothing more, nothing less. A fish great enough to get the job done, to swallow a man alive, to secure him in his stomach for three days and three nights, and a fish great enough to vomit him onto a beach on dry land. Listen, there are certain types of whales and sharks that are capable of this and even have been known to swallow men whole. And some have even been found unconscious but alive after two days in a whale. It's true. It's historical. It's verified. But let me say this. We spend way too much time 
on the great fish and not enough on the great God behind the fish. Two verses out of the 10 in chapter 2 deal with the fish. Three verses out of the 48 verses in this entire short book deal with the fish. So the question is, could this happen? Did it happen? Well, we spend way too much time in books and commentaries trying to defend a divine miracle with natural explanations. Listen, I know this happened not because some dude did get swallowed by a whale in history for two days. I know it because God says it in his word. And our God is great enough to do that. Listen to me. We sang even or read of the ravens today in our call of worship. Listen to me. If God can make a donkey talk and feed Elijah with ravens, he can get a fish big enough to swallow a man and deliver him from drowning. Amen? Yes. Listen, besides, more than anything else, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, affirmed the inspiration, the authority, and the inerrancy of Scripture when he said in Matthew 12, I want you to turn there, Matthew 12, 39 through 41. Matthew 12, 39 through 41. Here's what Jesus says about this passage that we're reading, studying. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this adulterous generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Now listen, what we just read is powerful. Listen to me. The fish is as real as Jonah is. Jonah is as real as Jesus is. Jonah's in the, in the fish is as real as Jesus in the grave. And Jonah's deliverance from the fish is as real as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They are linked. You disconnect these, you have disconnected the veracity and the historicity of the resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Listen, which is harder to believe? That God made a fish swallow a guy and, and saved his life? physical life for three days, or God rose a man from the grave to live forever in a glorified, risen body. But let's not get sidetracked. God's great concern in this passage is not the fish. His great concern is life rather than death. And so he prepares the way for Jonah to be saved, and it's a great fish that swallows him, And he's in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. So what's the significance of the belly of the fish? Is it like a Disney Pinocchio scene where he's just sitting there building a fire in the middle of a whale and just hanging out and having a good time in the whale? No, no. The belly of the fish is a place of discipline for running, and it's a place of deliverance from drowning. Listen, when God delivers his people, it's not to destroy you. It's not to stress you. It's not to cause you to turn away from him. 
It's a means of delivering you from yourself so that you come before Him and you're restored to Him out of our foolishness, out of our rebellious actions that run from Him. Notice in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I called out of my distress. Well, why was he in distress? Because he was disobedient in chapter 1. He's in the mess he's in because of what he did, not what God is doing. It's a direct result. Listen, God threw him over that boat, over the rail of that boat, not to get back at him, but to get back to him so that he would once again stand by God's side, stand in God's presence, and be a willing servant. Speak, for your servant listens. So the belly of the fish was also a place of deliverance. Look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 2. I cried for help from the belly of Sheol. And so your ESV translation does a great job of, of, of consistently saying he's in the belly of the, ship, of, of, of the, of the uh, whale, and then he cries out um, from the belly of the fish, and he cries out from the belly or the depths of the grave. The grave is the place of the dead. It's the place where life is threatened. It's the place that is farthest from God, literally, Jonah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Metaphorically, Jonah went to hell and back again. It was like being in hell. It was like being, and he was literally at the point of death. And I personally believe he even died. And God resuscitated him and brought him back from death. And had he remained dead or actually died, depending on how you view it, if he had remained that way, and he was an unbeliever, where would he go for eternity? He would go to a Christless hell. He would go to eternal conscious torment for all of eternity. What does God want to do? He wants to remind his forgetful prophet like he wants to remind us of our lack of concern is so lacking for the condition of the loss. And so number two the Lord will not only discipline us, but he disciplines to remind us what it feels like to go to hell without any hope of salvation. That's the purpose of the whale, or of the great fish. I'm sorry, we don't know what kind of fish it was. Great fish. The purpose of the great fish is to experience and to feel emotionally what Jonah had forgotten what it's like to go to hell without any hope, without any second chance. In verses 2 through 9 is a song of deliverance. In most of your Bibles, verses 2 through 9 are set aside like poetry. It is a psalm outside of the book of Psalms. It is a song of deliverance that is meant to touch our hearts, to move our hearts, to remind our hearts of God's great concern for the loss and to measure our hearts is our concern, his concern. God wants Jonah to remember, as you see in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. We don't get to choose who gets saved. We don't get to choose who gets to hear. We just obey because he wants everybody to know. It's a free gift that no one earns or deserves. He wants Jonah to remember 
what the Lord had freely done for him and has freely done so for so many of you and myself included. A free gift that should be freely shared with others. I mean, think of it. If your kids, if you, I mean, we, we do this with our kids. You give your kids something freely, a treat, and then they don't share it with their siblings. And what do you say? You ingrate. Stop that. I gave that to you, now share it with your brother. Share it with your sister. And God's up there in heaven saying, what are my children doing? I have given you the free gift of the gospel. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And now you withhold it from the people around the world, Latin America, Mongolia, Greece, wherever. No, no, no. Jonah had forgotten. And then Jonah needed to remember what Jonah had refused to do. That which is so freely given is meant to be freely given to others. God wanted Jonah to relive what it's like to be lost and no hope beyond the grave. So it took him for a ride to hell and back. God wanted Jonah to remember what the greatest concern of God is, to seek and to save those which are lost. So Lord graciously takes Jonah down to hell and back again in the belly of a fish. And you know what? God will do the same thing for you and I because he's that passionate and he's that caring for the world, but for you. Because we've talked in Jonah 1, this is our purpose as Christians. Listen, I cannot even pretend to know what trials you're going through or why you're going through them. But what I know from Jonah 2 is God allows and even takes his people and his churches through trials to wake them up and to get their focus off of ourselves and onto the lost right here in Kansas City, but also around the world because it's tied together. It's tied together. Sometimes we need to go through hell on earth so that we will go to all the earth for heaven. And so let me give you three purposes of God for, the, for this trip to hell and back. First of all, it's a picture of death. Chapter 2 is a picture of death. And it's a reminder to us this morning that hell is real and there are no second chances after we die. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Jonah gets a second chance. We'll see that next three. He gets a second chance, but that's because he didn't permanently die as an unbeliever. When unbelievers die, there are no second chances. And so look at verses 3 through 6. You had me cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. The breakers and the billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your temple, your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought me my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder, how great thou art. How great thou art. He sings that praise, having experienced this. 
He goes down to the heart of the seas. How low does he go? He goes to the very roots of mountains down under the ocean. He goes down to the very pit. And where does he go? Metaphorically, literally he's in the fish. Literally he's going that low. It's a picture, though, of death. The belly of the fish becomes a watery grave where Jonah either nearly dies or actually dies and experiences a little of what hell must be like in the belly of that fish. The fish's belly becomes like the belly of Sheol, the grave. The water is like dirt over his grave. The seed weed is like his grave clothes wrapped about him in a death veil, threatening to suffocate him. The depths of the sea was like going into the very depths of hell, which it's suffocating heat. I've read where whales' body temperature is like 104 degrees. He's frying inside there. Horrible isolation. You know, he's not partying up in the belly of the whale. He doesn't have a little lamp that he's burning like in Pinocchio. He is not like the unbeliever who mocks God's eternal wrath and says, I'd rather go in hell and party with my friends if that's where my friends are going. There's no partying in the belly of the well. It is dark. It is silent. It is suffocating. It is isolated. And it is as far as you can be from God and any hope of his goodness, kindness, and grace. The very foundations of the mountains are like bars on a prison, like the closing of a casket with six feet of dirt over it. And it's, it is like that. And there are, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll may look at this next week. I'll read you a, a, a description of a man who went through, uh, swallowed by a whale. But let me just give you Chuck Swindoll, Bible teacher Chuck Swindoll, as he paints this picture, which is true to life. It's pitch black, sloshing gastric juices wash over you, burning skin, eyes, throat, nostrils. Oxygen is scarce, and each frantic gulp of air is saturated with salt water. The rancid smell of digested food causes you to throw up repeatedly until you have only dry heaves left. Everything you touch has a slimy feel of mucous membrane that lines the stomach. You feel claustrophobic. With every turn and dive of the great fish, you slip, you slide in the cesspool of digestive fluid. There are no footholds. For three days and three nights, you endure the harsh womb of God's grace. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. Separation like in hell, completely cut off. Isolation like in hell, all alone by oneself. Suffocation, a struggle just to live for one more moment. Wishing you could die, but never dying. Desperation, no hope, no second chance. And no wonder, no wonder, Jonah says in verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. That's the purpose of the fish. As I was fainting away, that word can mean losing hope. That word can mean being overwhelmed by troubles. And that word can mean losing your life. And I think all three are relevant in Jonah's life. 
It was at that precise moment, according to verse 7, it was at that precise moment that Jonah prays. And so the belly of the fish, we see the prayer for deliverance. It's a picture of death, but it's a prayer for deliverance. And the, and, and the prayer realizes this, salvation belongs to the Lord, so I had better pray to him. Salvation belongs to the Lord, so I had better call out to him. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and it belongs to no other. I must pray to him. And so Jonah remembers who to go to for mercy in time of need. Look at verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Listen, if you're not sure of your eternal salvation this morning, let me tell you, you are far from God, but you're only a prayer away from his salvation. You are separated from him, and your sins are more than you can overcome, and they will send you into eternal conscious torment. But he is merely a prayer away. If you will call on the name of the Lord this morning, you shall be saved. And that's what we see happening to Jonah. Far from God, but only a prayer for away. He looks to the holy temple of the Lord high in heaven. Listen, you and I only discover the depths of God when we come to the depths of ourselves. When you come to the end of yourself, you will see how great God is in your life. At this precise moment of death or near death, Jonah remembers the mercy of the Lord and he cries out. And that brings us to the purpose of the belly of the fish. The purpose in discipline and deliverance. Is God a sadist? Is he a, mac, uh, a, a guy that enjoys pleasure? I can't say that word today. Uh, is this who God is? Is he just doing this? No, he has a purpose, a greater purpose. The purpose in discipline and, and deliverance is this. Remember, God's great concern for the loss and repent of our lack of concern. In verses 8 and 9, Jonah remembers and he repents at least a little. At least a little. At least enough to get him out of trouble, but not yet enough to really care about the loss. Why do you say that? Well, look at what he says in verse 8. He says, I, I remembered you in your holy temple, verse 7. I cry out to you. And then those who regard vain idols, like those lousy Ninevites, forsake their faithfulness. But I, I, unlike those godless pagans, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And for people like me, especially me, when I get in trouble, I love the Lord. I cry out to the Lord. I call the pastors and tell them how great they are when I'm in trouble. I come to church. I get people to cry out. I cry out. It's all great. And you know what? Our God is so gracious. He answers prayers like that. But he does it for a purpose. To remind you, you don't need me just when you're in trouble. You need me every waking and sleeping moment of your life. Come to me, and I will give you purpose and meaning and I will send you on a mission wherever you work, wherever you are. I will enable you to leverage your resources to pray, to give, 
and to send others and to go in your own community to share this good news. But you see, he repents a little and he's still thinking he's better than those pagan worshipers. But let me say this. Repentance is still the first step. It's still the first step. You've got to turn from self to your Savior. You've got to turn from self to your Lord before your heart is ever going to be changed by the Lord. And so I just want to see, just I, I just have these up here uh, uh, in your notes, and, and I just want you to see that Jonah remembers that God's great concern is threefold. First of all, he remembers in the belly of that fish that to seek and to save those who are lost. Look at verse 7. I remembered the Lord. That's, that's, that is who is seeking the lost and wanting to save them. Look, these missionaries don't do that. They go, but it's the Lord seeking through them. It's the Lord saving through them, through his saving grace. The Father's consuming passion is to seek and to save the lost. The Son's consuming mission is to seek and to save the lost. What is your consuming passion? What is my consuming mission? What as a church do we exist for? Second, Jonah remembers that God's great concern is to, number two, to show great mercy to all who repent of worthless idols and call on the name. This is God's plan of salvation, to turn from that which is not God to the one who is God in order to be saved. Do you know the plan this morning? Do you know the plan of salvation? Have you embraced it for yourself? Have you turned from your sins and turned from whatever idol is between you and God, whatever idol is between you and the mission of God? Listen, America... Christians have been given much. And you know what? God is on the move. And if we as a nation of Christians, if we as Christians in this nation do not go on mission with him, he has already moved on. He has moved on to Asia. He has moved on to the church in Latin America. They are mobilizing. And we're taking selfies We are consuming. We are fighting. We are arguing over politics. We are dividing within the church over that which is not of eternal value. And God has moved on. Are you saying, well, there's no hope? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on whether we we repent, like Jonah did. And thirdly, He remembered to share both the bad news and the good news that salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen, salvation belongs to the Lord because judgment belongs to the Lord. And therefore, the only one who can judge is the only one who can save. God is literally moving heaven and earth in these two chapters. The storm, the wind, the waves... The fish. He is moving heaven and earth to get his man with the lost to share his message. And he's doing that in your life, and he's doing that in my life, and he's doing that in our church's life. 
And that brings us to the third and final point, and it's this. The Lord motivates us to make his great concern our great concern. That's the motivation. He wants us to make his great concern our great concern. You see, this whole trip to hell and back again was designed to motivate a forgetful prophet. See, Jonah forgot that God is always in the fish fishing business. He always has been, and he always will until the end of the age. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. As early as 12 years old, Jesus was going about his father's business. Young people, do not put off to tomorrow what he has called you to do today. Young couples, don't put off until after you have kids what he is calling all of us to do today. Couples with an empty nest, don't go and live the dream. Be on mission instead with the time and the money he has given you. Seniors, do not say, my time, I've retired, I'm done. You're breathing, you're living, you can leverage your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get it? An amen. Listen, how can we know? How can we know if we really have learned the lesson? How can we know if we've really remembered? How do we know if God's concern is my concern? Well, you're going to do, and I'm going to do what Jonah does in verse 9 and what the sailors did in verse 16 of chapter 1. And it's real simple. Let me give it to you. Number one, you're going to praise frequently. You're going to praise the Lord as you remember, oh God, I am saved by grace through faith. I am saved not because of anything I have done. I am not worthy of it. And all that I do for you does not earn my salvation. All that I do for you is a big thank you for the free gift that you've given me. He, listen, you realize that the first act after his repentance is to praise and do you realize that the first missionaries of the New Testament church were called out of a praise service? Listen, it's praise is the fuel and the goal of missions. This is why he says in verse 6, O oh Lord my God, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. His heart is beginning to change, and it lifts itself up in praise. Why would you share with others what you don't thank God for on a daily basis? Number two, not only praise frequently, but pray fervently that the lost would be reached. We're do, we do that in our church, we do that every week in our discovery hour. Our grow groups each uh, this month of October are praying for our missionaries. I hope all of us are praying for these missionaries as they come. Prayer, prayer. Jesus said the missionary problem, the key to the missionary problem is not more dreams on the mission field, it's more prayers. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to thrust out more laborers. He uses people. He uses you. He uses your prayers. And then three, give faithfully to the Lord. Give faithfully. And you give faithfully by first giving yourself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
but then you give out of your resources. These people live and to go with the gospel. They need to pay for visas. They've got to pay for everything that you pay for to make a life. Then they have to fund their ministries in a culture that is hostile in many ways to what they are doing. Giving, giving. And then number four, go fearlessly to the lost with the gospel. You see, he's going to go next week. And next week we're going to see in chapter 3, he's going to go to Nineveh. He's going to go with bad news and he's going to go with good news. The bad news is this. Those who trust in worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Look in your Bibles in verse 8. It says, forsake their faithfulness. Some of your Bibles say steadfast love. Some of your Bibles say mercy. I would capitalize that word because what they are forsaking is the one true God who can save them. Does that, does that make sense? You are forsaking the one who is your mercy. You are forsaking the one who is your salvation. Bad news. Forsake him, and there's only eternal judgment. But there's good news. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so look at verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, not Jonah, the Lord, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. You say, that doesn't sound like much salvation. It is if you're in the belly of a fish. Listen, Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. There is no other name in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth where Jonah was that anyone can be saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning as we conclude, where is your heart this morning? Is it in the slimy, dark belly of a fish focused on yourself? Or are you on dry land moving toward the loss with the gospel? I would challenge you today, start remembering, if you're born again, start remembering the mercy of God in your lostness. And then have that same concern for the lost people that are all around us. And not just around us, but are around the world. With your heads bowed, I want you to think this morning. I want you to really think, are you saved this morning? Because you know what God's great concern for you? His concern for you is to be saved. And all you got to do right now, right where you are, is turn from your idols, turn from yourself, cry out to the Lord and say, Father, you have brought your son. He is fully man. He is fully God. He lived the sinless life. I have not. He has paid for my sins in full. I can't do that. And so I cry out to you, and I trust in him. And I ask you this morning, save me. Save me, because salvation belongs to you. But maybe you're sure of your salvation. Maybe you are 100% sure if you died of a heart attack, like my friend did just a couple weeks ago, that if you died this, today of a heart attack, you would be in the presence of the Lord. Well, then let me ask you, are you fulfilling your vows? Because that's what saved people do. The Hibbings just made some vows. 
membership vows, covenant vows. Here's the vows that I'm talking about. Your baptismal vow to walk in newness of life. Your missional vow to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Your personal vow to pray, to give, and to go for others. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you will call people to yourself for salvation. Father, I pray that by your grace, we will individually and corporately fulfill, fulfill our vows, for we have been saved by grace through faith. And may we walk in newness. May we run to the loss. And Lord, may we show it like Carrie did, by praying, by giving, by serving, by going. We pray this, Lord, for your glory and by your grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.